0: Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. It's great to see a packed house on Labor Day weekend. Isn't this cool? Uh, Well, my name's Samuel. I'm one of the pastors here. And today, we're going to be in Romans 12 verses 9 through 21. If you didn't get notes, raise your hand. Uh, We have ushers on the sides that will get those to you quickly. Uh, You're going to want notes today. You can follow along. The passage is in the notes. Um, You can also pull it up on your phone or use the screen behind me. Uh, But we're going to be reading Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord." On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you pray with me? God, I pray this morning for every one of us here that our hearts would be receptive to what it is that you would like to say to us, and that we would see what it is that we need from you. God, I pray that our eyes would be open to see, that our ears would hear, um, that you would speak to us individually in the way that we can hear you so well. God, we know you love us. We know that this room is filled with grace, that you don't condemn us, but you do convict us, and that our hope is to leave changed. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, in this passage, Paul is talking. And he's describing what Jesus taught and modeled as God's vision for community. And when I read this passage, I can't help but think, man, that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. right? If I was a community like that in this valley, wouldn't just need a bigger building, it would need like 10 buildings. Because it would be the most attractive community that we can even imagine. And so when we read this passage, what we see is the kind of church the kind of community that Jesus came to establish. So maybe you're here today, and you're a little skeptical of church. Okay, Maybe you've had a bad experience in the past with church, or maybe this is your first experience here at Brave. Maybe Brave is your first experience with the church. Uh, but the church is not a perfect place. It's, it's, there are dysfunctional churches. There are issues with the church. No church is going to get it all right. But what we need to know this morning is that though we may make mistakes and the church may not be perfect, God's vision for the kind of community we're to build is very clear. He knows what he's building in his church. And we see this vision for a group of people in, in Romans 12 that are sincerely loving that hate what is evil, that are devoted to one another, one that takes care of those in need, that's never lacking in passion, that's joyful, hopeful, and that mourns with those who mourn. Uh, Careful to do what is right. People who do what they can to live at peace with everyone, even willing to associate with people that the rest of society looks down on. I see a lot of you in this list. I see a lot of our church family when I read this, and and it makes me think of a lot of you. Uh, But for some of us, including myself, we read this list and we also recognize that we have a lot of room to grow. There's a lot of opportunity for us to become more like this. Uh, And many of us, uh, we can probably think of someone that this list reminds us of, uh, maybe a family member or someone you respect as well. Um, I think of my grandma. My grandma is such a godly woman, and she met Jesus when she was young, and then she lived her whole life following Jesus, and she went through some really challenging things that would have challenged her faith. Uh, She went through stuff, and here she is now in her late 70s, and she's finishing well, And one of the things that I love uh, when I think about my grandma is not just that since I was a, a kid, I think of her as someone who was so like Jesus, but that she kept becoming more and more like Jesus, that she's more like Jesus today than she was when I was a child. And so you can probably think of someone that you respect. And really, the hope is, is that over time, our beliefs will change who we become, that they'll impact us, that they'll affect us, that we'll grow more mature, that we'll be kinder, that we'll be sweeter, that we'll, be, we'll become more easy to be around, people that uh, everybody wants to be around as we grow older, and that we'll have more of what people need, that we'll be a blessing to everyone. And so that's the idea. And I want to talk to you today about what I believe is a key component to becoming more like Jesus over a lifetime. So one of the primary vehicles for this at Brave, we just talked about it a little bit ago, is home church. OK, home church is, is core to everything that we do. It's the way that we gather in small groups and build community. And so you may be here today, and you're just checking all this out. And you're like, man, home church, what's that? I just, I thought I came to church. Like, here I am, OK? And that's, that's awesome. We're glad you're here. And I just want to say, I don't think we can say this enough, Uh, Brave is a community where you're welcome, even if you don't agree with everything we believe. You don't have to agree with what I say to be welcome here, and we're still glad you're here, uh, because this is a safe place to explore faith. And so I love that about our community. But home church is really important. And so today, I want to talk about, as the the home church season is beginning to to kick off, we're starting home churches. You can find those on our website. Uh, But I want to talk about how, through a Jesus-centered community, we can reach our full spiritual potential. Because beliefs don't automatically change our thoughts, our feelings, or our behaviors. Um, This is in your notes. Beliefs turn into changed character through spiritual habits. A belief is hollow if there's no action that accompanies those beliefs. Um, There are certain things that we need to do regularly spiritual habits that we need to form if our lives are going to reflect our beliefs. Um, Have you ever heard someone say, stop trying to change me, just let me be myself, right? Um, I'm not saying that there aren't good things about you and that your wiring, your personality, that any of those things should change, Uh, but psychologists refer to this as a fixed mindset, Okay, When it comes to following Jesus, we have to enter this relationship with a growth mindset. Following Jesus requires a growth mindset. So for those of us um, who have decided to follow Jesus, we don't expect to stay the same. In fact, Jesus' promise to us is that he'll change us. When Jesus called his first disciples to come and follow him, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He said, I'm going to make you something that you're not already And so as we follow Jesus and as we live out this life, God's desire for us is to keep growing us, to keep maturing us, that we will become something more than we are today. I believe the most you version of you that you could possibly become is the you with Jesus. It's who you were created to be. So today, my hope is to show you why church community is something that you need to be part of in order to reach your full spiritual potential, to experience the kind of community that we read about in Romans 12, Uh, We need close friendships with others inside the church community. So in this passage, this is where we find a biblical vision for community. And in Matthew 5.14, Jesus says something so significant. And this is one of my favorite verses when I think about the church, the kind of church uh, that we can become and are becoming in this community. It says, uh, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So here we are, up on a hill. It's just perfect, right? But this is who we are. This is who we're purposed to be. Yet, sometimes when we read scripture, uh, we might miss just how important church community is. Uh, as Americans, our propensity is to see the world through a very individualistic lens, um, and this isn't a bad thing that we're, that we're wired this way. It's our culture. Uh, but in ancient times, when the readers of the Bible would read about the church, they didn't just think of what was being said to them personally. They also thought about their community. They were very community-minded. So part of this challenge for us is the English language, language doesn't have a second-person plural pronoun. So unless you're from the South or somewhere that says y'all, which I know some of you are, Um, unless you have that. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, okay, when you read that and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to bless a community that's humble, that's merciful, and that's pure in heart, you read that and you hear Jesus saying, you must do this. You must do this, and you must do this. But what he's actually saying is, y'all need to be like this. Y'all need to be like this. He's saying, this is the kind of community that I'm trying to build. This is my vision for how you can be a light to the world, for how you can be a city on a hill, not a person on a hill, but a city on a hill. So today, as a starting point, I want to take a big-picture look. At Christian community. And in Romans 12, you know, there's so many things that were just said. There's so many statements. We can't cover all of that in one Sunday morning. But I want to pull out three things that help us to understand God's vision for community. We're going to talk about how God is building a different kind of family, that the foundation of that community is grace, and God's love is what makes it possible. So, number one, if you're taking notes, um, God is building A different kind of family. This is the key to the whole passage, and it's right here in verse ten. It says, "Be devoted to one another in brotherly love." Now, when we hear that, it sounds kind of vague, right? What's brotherly love? Um, Is it just you know having good vibes for your friends? Like one of my friends in our home church, he calls everybody fam, okay? But he's saying something a little bit more than that. Um, In fact, when the original Greeks and Romans saw brotherly love being practiced by Christians, they saw it as radical and offensive. Lucian of Samosata, who was a Greek writer and author, he watched Christianity growing, and he didn't like it. And so he basically said this. He said, their founder, that's Jesus, he persuades them that they should be like brothers to one another. And therefore, they despise their own privacy and view of all their possessions as common property. So he recognized how radical it was that every person who has experienced the saving grace of God, that they view one another as family, as brothers and sisters. And they even give up some of their own privacy. See, a lot of us, we've heard this, but we're not aware of just how radical this concept is. See, in this verse, we learn something very important about our relationships inside this family, inside this community. And that is that if your faith is active, you begin to see one another as brothers and sisters. Verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So the word brotherly love is the word Philadelphia, which means love of brothers. But the first word in that sentence, be devoted to one another, was another word that describes a family love. And it's actually the word philo-storage or storage, which is often translated as bondedness or affection. In other words, you should experience this within the community, this bondedness, this affection. Um, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, and he wrote a book called The Four Loves. And if you haven't heard of C.S. Lewis, you've probably heard of the Chronicles of Narnia, right? <laughs> so he wrote that too, but this was a pretty different kind of book. And in this book, and I'll paraphrase, but he says, storage is a non-selective love. Friends and lovers will say that they're made for each other, but the special glory of storage is that it unites those who most emphatically, even comically, would not be united. Storage exists between people who, if they had not found themselves in the same household or community, would have had nothing to do with each other. Um, Lewis is trying to say that if you think that you have a strong family bond with a brother or a sister, but if you're honest, there's probably a family member or or someone that if you weren't related, you might not even be friends. Okay, Maybe they're that different, right? And that's the amazing thing about family, right? Is you can be so different, like totally different things. It's like you're living on different planets, yet you're in the same house, and you feel like family, right? So if if they're here with you today, don't tell them, Okay. (laughs) But the point is, you don't get to choose your siblings. You don't. Storage is a love that exists between two people who probably wouldn't even be friends unless they were forced to because they're family. So you can probably think of a time that you've bonded with someone. Uh, Maybe you worked together and you were on a team. Or maybe you played sports together. Or you sat next to each other in class and you saw them enough that over time, this bond started to form. And there was probably a point where you begin to go, wow, he's kind of funny. Or she's easy to talk to. Or I like what they have to say. And this bond starts to form. And this is what happens. And when this happens, you've crossed the line. It's a new frontier. It means that you're getting beyond your own quirks. Lewis continues. He says, you're beginning to learn to appreciate goodness of intelligence in others, not merely goodness or intelligence that's flavored and served to suit your tastes and views and your own palate. He then adds, dogs and cats should always be brought up together. It broadens their minds. I love that, but we are not getting cats in our house. Okay, I'm allergic. So that's not going to happen. What he's saying is he's saying that storage is a very important word for love. He's saying storage is a deep sense of connection and a bondedness that happens when people open themselves up to each other. People who wouldn't have chosen to, that might not even know each other or be friends, uh, start to sense a connection and a bond. You begin to see things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise because if you had a chance to choose, you would have chosen somebody else. Um, my wife is really good at this. Uh, she's going to school uh, in, in San Jose at William Jessup for counseling, and every semester, when the semester starts, you know, every class has someone that's just kind of a little different, right? <laughs> and she always ends up sitting next to next to this person. And she always ends up, you know, calling me, telling me about it on the way home. Yeah, I made a new friend today. And I'm like, OK, I've heard this before. And the next thing you know, she's giving them rides home. Uh, she's going to their weddings. I'm like, you've known you've this person two months, and you're going to their wedding? Like, what is going on? But she's really good beca- at this, because she's full of this kind of love. Um, I read a story this week about a pastor from the early 1900s. And his name was David Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he was a physician in Britain in 1910 to 1920. And he was a very well-educated man in a society that was very class-conscious. And he heard a call to ministry. And he went into ministry, and he took a church in Sandsfields, which is a small, blue-collar town um, on the ocean of Wales. And his church was filled with tin-makers, fishermen, and very simple, very humble people. And so he came to realize something. As he began to minister to them, he found something very strange started to happen. When he got there and he talked to these people who he otherwise would have had no reason to connect with, no affinity with, nothing in common, and when he spoke to them about God, and when they were both talking about the fact that they had come to know the grace of God, that they were sinners, and they had both received this grace and that their lives had been changed. And when they talked about this, they felt a bond. They felt like they were family. He felt a connection that, that shouldn't have been there, that there was no reason for it to be there. But when they connected around what God had done for them, they felt close. Many of you have been bonding with people since you started coming to BRAVE. Maybe you joined a team, maybe you've been a part of a home church, or you've just been sitting next to the same person for a few Sundays. But you've started to feel a bond as you begin connecting. Um, I love uh, what happens in the church just growing up with different people that I've known for years now that feel like family. And we had uh, some friends that came, and they visited last Sunday. And I've known them since I was like 10 years old. And we were standing right over there And Ruth came up, who's our head usher. In fact, let's just do a quick shout out to Ruth. Everybody give Ruth a hand. Because that's what family does, right? We celebrate each other. And Ruth is awesome. But she came up to us, and they said, oh, well, we're here visiting the laws. We're like adopted family members. And I love Ruth's response. She goes, well, I'm adopted into the laws family, too. Being adopted into God's family means that we're all family. So when Jones read Ephesians 1 15, the pastor that I was just talking about, he read where Paul says one of the tests of the Christian faith is to feel a love for all Christians. And when he read this, he wrote a sermon on it. And I love what he says. He says, when I read that verse in Ephesians, I suddenly realized my faith became real. Because people who I had never had chosen, people of a different class, people of a different race, people of a very different temperament, people I never would have liked, I feel a bond with. I feel a connection. I sense that we're related to the Father through grace. And this is one of the marks of true Christianity. Christian community has to be marked by this incredible openness towards people of different temperaments, different personalities, different ethnicities, different social statuses. We need this now more than ever. And so this is the kind of community that is a city on a hill that is a light to the world. Number two, in your notes, the foundation of this community is grace. There's something else that this text tells us, which could really be an entire series. Um, If you've been around the church for a while, you've probably noticed that we're kind of obsessed with grace. right? We talk about it a lot. We sing songs about it, because grace is central to everything we experience and everything we believe. Uh, and one of the reasons that I think that this resonates so much with us here in the Bay Area is that we live in a very performance-oriented culture. So we're constantly driven. We're constantly um, thinking about the results. How good of a job are we doing? We're very focused on that. So when we come to understand grace, this huge burden is lifted. But I want to challenge you just for a moment to consider grace maybe through a different lens. Consider it not through our individualistic lens of how it impacts us, but I want to consider grace through the lens of a community. What does it mean for our foundation of, a commu- of our community to be grace? Um, let's step outside of this, this, this cultural lens for a moment. So the last part of this text is mainly talking about how people inside the church relate to those outside of it. The first part was about how we relate to each other inside the church. But the second part is how we relate to those outside of it. Timothy Keller says, how the church treats its enemies, those who persecute it, is as crucial to the uniqueness of Christian community as the relationships inside because there are many other communities in the world that have extremely close bonds and have such shared values that they also talk about each other as brothers and sisters. This is one of the most beautiful things about Christianity. The fact that uh, we are a community that takes our greatest benefits, our kindest treatment, all of our love, all of our acceptance, everything, That we give to one another, and we say, hey, we're going to give that to everybody outside of our community, too. This is where Christianity flips everything upside down. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, we bond with people because, you know, if you're a good person and they're a good person and we spend enough time together, I could see how we would bond and maybe start to feel like family. But then you go, hey, everybody inside the club, everything you get for being a part of this, right? All of the same way that we treat one another, we're going to treat everybody else that way, too. That's where things start to change. This is an aspect of the church that's been disruptive since its inception, and it's extremely relevant today. See, we live in a very pluralistic society right now. Um, It used to be that everybody in a particular society believed one thing. So if you lived in Italy, you were Catholic. If you were in Sweden, you were Lutheran. If you were in India, you were Hindu. But now we have these things called cities, right? And they're a huge melting pot. And you bring all of these people together with all of these different beliefs and different views. And the closer you are to these cities, the more you see this pluralistic society with all of these different views. And so even here in the Tri-Valley, being so close to Oakland and San Francisco, we see a lot of different views. We have a huge diversity in our belief systems here. So how do we? do more than coexist. One solution, and this is the position a lot of people have, is to get rid of all exclusive views. In other words, you can't say that you have the truth. Because when someone says that they have the truth, they're demonizing the people who don't have the truth. People would say, you know, how can you claim that Jesus is the Son of God and the Bible is true? And only people who have this truth or believe this can join you. Some would say that that's exclusive, that you're excluding people, and we should just let everybody in, and the world will be a better place. But that is really naive. Because when someone says, let's not draw any boundaries anymore, no one can draw any lines, what they've just done is they've drawn a line. They've said, everybody who has these exclusive views and believes this, they're the bad people over here. And everybody who doesn't draw lines, they're over here. But what they're actually doing is they're saying, hey, if you believe that Jesus is the way, that there is a truth, and, and then, then we're going to draw a line, and you're being excluded. That's what's happening. So drawing lines doesn't work. To even be a community... You have to be able to have boundaries, to have beliefs, to have values that you hold to. Uh, We see this all the time in great companies. People ask Steve Jobs what would happen to Apple beyond him. This is when he was still alive. And then after he passed away, article after article was written about how the company would just collapse. And I know it's only been six years, but so far they're doing pretty well. Right, They're the, the, the largest company in the world. They have more cash than the US government. Like, they haven't really slowed down. I read an article this week that talked about one of Steve Jobs' most fundamental traits being his courage to say no. And it talked about how the company that he led um, continues today to have the courage to say no. And it's in saying no that its ability, it has the ability to focus and produce incredible results. So like companies successful communities have a defined culture with beliefs and values that they hold on to. Another debate is that some people think having exclusive religious views makes the world a dangerous place. Um, Some people blame religion for all of the world's problems. We saw this after 9-11. There were newspaper articles all over New York that um, were saying that, you know, the problem with the world is that exclusive views lead to violence. And I love what Kathy Keller, Timothy Keller's wife, who pastored in New York City, I love how she responded to the newspapers. Um, She said, having an exclusive belief isn't dangerous. For example, have you ever seen an Amish terrorist? Anybody? (laughs) Amish people are very exclusive, and they hold firmly to their beliefs. But if your fundamental belief is a man dying on the cross for his enemies, a man who refuses to strike back even when they come after him, if that's the core belief of your life, that's the exclusive truth that you have to believe in order to become a Christian, to follow, um, to join the church, then that should lead you to be, to be the most gracious and accepting person ever with your exclusive beliefs. Your exclusive truth leads you to be loving and kind to people who believe differently than you. And that is not drawing a line. We're clapping for Jesus because he's amazing, and because God loves all people. And what we get to be a part of, it's exclusive in the sense that we actually believe what we believe, but it's open to everyone. And it leads us to be the most loving people we could possibly be to everyone. This is a truth-based community full of love and grace and a community whose beliefs lead them to love and respect people on every side. Paul says, bless those who curse you. Bless and curse not. Think about uh, what he's saying here. He's not saying um, don't seek revenge, don't judge. He's actually saying bless your enemies. He's actually saying bless those you disagree with. My mom was just telling me about this group that she joined on Facebook that's a support group for people with multiple sclerosis. She's been a part of it for years, and it's been super encouraging. And a Christian woman mediates the group, and she started it. And so just this last week, she posted something that was just bashing a pastor in his ministry. And then all these people in the group started jumping on and bashing him, too. And it really bummed her out, because it was so not Christ-honoring. It was, it was so not what Jesus, what Paul is saying here when he says, "Bless those you disagree with, bless your enemies, bless those that see things differently than you." Um, you'll ne- when when you understand what Jesus has done for you, you don't need to look down on others and judge them just because you disagree with them. Even the people who are against you, even your opponents and even your enemies. Um, I think that if someone outside your community or our community if you disagree with their lifestyle or you think that they're sinning or that um, they could be doing things better, I think the very best thing you can do is just be nice. God doesn't tell us to judge people. He doesn't tell us that we need to tell them how to live their lives. We do have truth. We do have love. But Paul is saying, bless them. He's saying, think kindly of them. Don't get a committee together and talk about how they're not doing well, right? That's called gossip, and you shouldn't do it. He says, wish them well. Pray that God would bring whatever conviction that they might need. And this is the way of Jesus. So let's review before we go to point three. Number one, God is building a different kind of family. Number two, the foundation of this community is grace. And lastly, number three, God's love makes a Jesus-centered community possible. So how does all of this work? Did you know that the Bible actually tells the story of the failure of family? When you look back through the Bible, in some ways, the story of the Bible is a story of the failure of family to give us the unconditional, close, perfectly patient relationships that we need. The family we all need would be perfect. They'd be able to give us those things. They would give us unconditional love. We'd always feel close. And they would be totally patient with us. Yet no family's perfect. And no family is able to give us all of these things. Did you know that if you go all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis, you'll see that the very first family wasn't so perfect? In fact, Cain and Abel, two brothers, Cain kills his brother Abel. That's how the family starts off. It's not a very good start, right? And so maybe you're thinking, okay, things just started a little rough, but it doesn't get much better. When you keep going, things, things are, are, are kind of downhill. Ishmael struggles with his brother Isaac. Rachel struggles with Leah, two sisters. So ladies aren't off, aren't off the hook, OK? Then Esau, he's wanting to kill Jacob. He has to run away. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. And on and on it goes. And then we get to David who had one of the best friend relationships that we see in the Bible with Jonathan. But even his own family lacks this love that Paul's talking about. Here's David. He's driven into the wilderness by his son, Absalom, who's trying to kill him. Then one of his sons, Amon, rapes his sister, Tamar. Abimelech in Judges 9, he kills all his brothers so he can be king. And we get all the way to Mary and Martha in the New Testament, and Martha rebukes Mary. And then we have the greatest of all parables that Jesus told, the story of the prodigal son. And it's about an elder brother who despises his younger brother so much, he hates him so much that he wants nothing to do with him. So we see this over and over again, that the Bible tells us this story. It shows us that earthly families fail to give us the unconditional close relationships that our hearts were designed for. But then Jesus comes. And in Mark three, we see him say something so remarkable, okay His brothers were against him, his mother was against him, his family had turned on him, his own blood. and then they say, "What are you going to do now?" And in Mark three verse thirty five he gets up and he says, "Whoever does the will of my father in heaven, that's my brother. That person is my sister. That person is my mother." Do you guys hear what he's saying? he's saying that No family, no human family can ever give you everything that you need. There are no perfect parents, there are no perfect brothers, there are no perfect sisters. Everyone will let us down in one way or another, and we need a solution. Then Jesus says, I have something that can give you the kind of love that you need, the kind of love that will never leave you, and it will never let you down. So what is this love? And this is where I think it gets really interesting. See, throughout scripture, we see blood talked about a lot. It's kind of weird. We don't really talk about blood very much anymore, unless you watch a lot of HBO, (laughs) Okay, Uh, But back then, it was pretty normal. Family bloodlines were very important. Blood sacrifices were the way that people atoned for their sins. So when the first murder happened, that was a big deal. And when Abel was slain by Cain, his blood spilled on the ground. And God comes to Cain, and he says, the blood of your brother Abel, it cries out to me from the ground. And this is a metaphor, which happens a lot in the Bible. But this metaphor is that innocent blood has been spilled, and it cries out for revenge. So Cain, he's driven out, and he's exiled because there's a price that has to be paid. And in Hebrews 12, there's this fascinating spot where it says that you have come through the gospel to Jesus Christ the mediator of a new relationship with God and to his shed blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. What he's saying is is that Jesus came to his own people, but his own people rejected him. Jesus was denied, he was betrayed, and he was handed over to death by his brothers, his own disciples. He's like Abel, and his blood's been spilled on the ground, he's been murdered, but there's one key difference. He did this voluntarily for you and me. He paid the price for our selfishness, for our pride, and he came to pay the penalty for the blood that we have spilled. Think of the ways that you've failed to be a brother or a sister to your real brothers and sisters or to the people around you. Jesus said, I'm going to solve that. I'm going to take care of that. Jesus was wrongly murdered. But instead of seeking revenge, his blood, it doesn't cry out for justice, it cries out for grace. His blood asks the Father to give you fatherly love, unconditional, always close, endlessly patient. That's the kind of relationship that is available to us as we follow Jesus. This is the kind of love that God wants to fill our community and for us to be towards one another. It's almost deeper than friendship. It's almost deeper than romantic. You can use these images to describe the love of God. But what we're talking about here is family love that your heart longs for. And when you receive it, it sets you free. It fills the hole of emptiness, the pain that you run from that you can't get rid of. No matter what you do, where you go, nothing else can solve this. The Father God says, when you see what we did for you, What my son and I did for you so that you could be invited into our family. You're set free. And you're free to love those all around this room. You're free to love those at work. You're free to love those outside of this place. You're free to love everyone. Those that you think are cool, those that you think are uncool. Those that you click with, those that you don't. You're free to love those who look different than you. You're free to love those who look just like you. You are free to love everyone. And you're free to value each person for who they are, children of God, created in his image. So if you'll join me, let's bow our heads and pray as we close. God, I thank you that you have created a family, that you are Lord. And in many ways, this gospel that we receive, this love that you have for us through your son, it can heal even our earthly families. And it brings healing to so many of us that we search for, the tension that we live in, the void that we feel, the frustration, the pain, the anger of being wronged. God, I pray for those of us here today, maybe that have been searching for you or have been searching for something, and then maybe they're seeing right now so clearly what this life is all about, what you're really offering us. And so I'm not going to ask you guys today to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But what I am going to say is if that's where you're at this morning and that's what you're feeling, and maybe you've got more questions than you know what to do with, but I want to encourage you, begin talking to someone about those things. Join a home church. Go to lunch with whoever you came with. This is an open place where wherever you're at, you're welcome to join us or to just ask questions. To come along, but you can search here as long as you'd like. But if you're at that place where you're ready to take some next steps, don't leave here and forget about it. Talk to somebody. God, I pray for um, this room to just be filled with your grace, to be filled with your love. I pray that we would become so alive to the things that you're doing in our community, for the ways that we can be a light, for the ways that we can be that city on the hill you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.